I'm talking about being unashamed this morning. And uh, shame is one of those things that, that God's done away with under the new covenant. And um, Steve Fish, I remember he would preach on shame and he'd do this, shame off you. Shame off you. And it's, it's powerful. I mean, it's, but uh, Romans 8.1 says that there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And, and uh, condemnation, I think, is, a, uh, is pretty, pretty parallel to, to shame. So where did shame come in? It all started in the garden. And uh, Genesis chapter 2, Adam and Eve are there, and God's given them directions for how to live in the garden, for how to uh, do what he's assigned them to do, how to relate with him. He, says, he told them, you can eat of any tree in the garden. You can eat any, any one of them except this one, the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, why did... Uh, why did God set up in a perfect environment an opportunity to rebel and sin? It's because love is a choice, right? Love is preferring someone above yourself. So even in that perfect environment, Adam and Eve had to make a choice to prefer God above themselves, even without a, a sin nature at that time. And so he says, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. Now, why, why would they die? It's it because they, well, I'm going to get ahead of myself, but we're going to dive into it. And so this word good is the word tov. And the word evil is this word ra. And another way, evil may not be the most uh, accurate way to, to kind of describe that word raw, raw is maybe a better word would be to describe it would be bad. And so, and so what bad is kind of like what we, so the evil, there's absolutes about it that God's laid out. Bad is, I kind of decide what's bad and good. So like, I like, bur I like tacos from Taqueria del Sol. Those, those tacos are good. I've met a few crazy people who think they're bad. And so, like, they think, like, but that's, that's they're saying, so that's when, I, when it's saying the tree of the knowledge of good and evil or good and bad, that's kind of where, no, nah, I mean, those tacos from Taqueria del Sol, they're good. They're like, no, those, those tacos are bad. And so what happened when we, when Adam and Eve ate of that tree of the knowledge of good and bad, what happened is, is they decided what was good and bad. God said, this is good. But they're, and it's like they're, they were saying, no, God, but that's bad. Does that make sense? And so what is, I've had this thought coming across my mind. I was like, what's the plague of the world? Self-righteousness. I know what's good. I know what's bad. I know what I should do. I know what you should do. 
You're crazy for not liking, liking tacos from Taqueria del Sol. You need to be like me because I know what's right. That's essentially what we say, you know. And, and so instead of looking at what God says, this, God, what is life? What brings life? His words bring life. His, his, his commandments and his precepts, his statutes, all those things are what, are what brings life, his promises. And so we, we got out of sorts. We, we became gods when we were already were made in the image of God. The devil can't sell you anything that God hasn't already given you, right? He's trying to, what did he, how did he tempt Jesus? He said, if you bow down and worship me, I will give you all these kingdoms of the world. And Jesus is like, dude, I'm getting the kingdoms anyway. He can't sell you anything that God hasn't already given you. And so he, just, he twists it. He twists it to make, to make you think that you, apart from God, is how you acquire it. And so we become gods in our own eyes. So what happened when they ate? It says, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. And so this was, I'm sorry, this is not, this is before they ate. And so before they ate the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they were walking around the house naked. And nobody knew that they were actually naked. So we're, we're like laughing. I was like, <laughs> they're walking around the house naked. They didn't even know that. They're just like, hey, honey, did you make any coffee? And they're, just, you know, they're. And she's not even like, why don't you put some clothes on? She's like, totally normal. Yeah, coffee's up in a minute. So they felt no shame. And so what, it, what does it mean to be naked? It means to be vulnerable, honest, transparent, seen. It means to be unashamed. That's what, that's what that, the picture of nakedness represents. Unashamed, honest, transparent. I'm not hiding anything. I've been the burning man. And if, in case you don't know what burning man is, it's the biggest new age festival in the world. And there's only like 20 people that go there to worship Jesus. And I was a part of that group. And so, but we go there to, uh, we've been there, I've been there a couple of times. And we're, we're there to share the love of, of God with these people. Because you would have people setting up their camp and they would call it Orphan Street. I mean, it was crazy, redonkulous how the verbiage that they would use. And they would say, this is my home. Burning Man's my home. This is reality. Out there is the false reality. It's like, dude, you're looking for a home that's not of this world. Right? <laughs> so there, there's a hunger. There's innately in every person, there's like this cry for heaven, for a father. But you had... Burning Man, why, do, why was there naked camps? People are tired of hiding. They're tired of shame. And so they, in our own flesh and strength, you know, it was like, well, let's make a butt naked camp. Who cares what people think? And so there's butt naked camps. I mean, have you ever thought, why did people do that? But they want to be known. They don't want to hide anything. That's, it's just a manifestation of, like, tired of trying to put on airs anymore. Now it's twisted. It's perverted, you know, it gets, that's because humans touch it. 
And even in heaven, when we, we're going to be clothed. So it never says we're riding on horses behind Jesus butt naked. It says we're clothed in fine linen, white and clean. So <laughs> this might be a record for the times I've said naked in one sermon. And so Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 through 10, it says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And this is, this is after they, they ate of the fruit. We don't know what kind of fruit it was. It actually doesn't say apple in the Bible, just to, for y'all. And me, I just says, I ate the apple. But anyways. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God, God called to the man and said to him, where are you? That's how the Lord, he invites us into the relationship. God knew exactly where he was, right? But God invite, always is inviting us to engage in relationship. You ever, you parents, have you ever noticed that your, your, your children learn better when you ask them questions instead of you telling them everything? It's hard to do. It's hard as a parent not to just, hey, you, you need to do X, Y, Z. But instead of, but they really learn when you ask them questions and they kind of like figure out the problem themselves. So this is what, but God's a good father, so this is what he's doing. Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. So they ran from the Lord. They were afraid because they were naked. They hid themselves. Ran from the Lord, afraid, hid themselves. Sounds like sin, right? <laughs> Sounds like what sin does. And so to hide means you isolate yourself because there's shame. You don't want to be exposed. What did Jesus say in John chapter 3? He says, men love darkness more than the light, right? And it's because that's what we're familiar with. We were born in the darkness. We were born into a world that hides. To hide means embarrassment, means condemnation. And so they were embarrassed. I mean, I just, I mean, I can't imagine what they're thinking. It was like, have we, what have we done? What have we done? What are the ramifications going to be of this? So then they turn into the blame-shame game. This is a, uh, you get to see this, you see this every day. You watch the news, read the news, whatever. I'm sure everybody's been in relationships where you or somebody else were either doing some of this. I know I've, I've done this. Husbands and wives, moms and dads. This is, this is where our sin, our darkness kind of affects our, our relational um, connections. And so the Lord said, who told you that you were naked? Again, he's asking questions. He knows. Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave me. God, it's your fault. You gave me this woman. I would have been totally fine by myself. I would have never sinned. But you, Lord, it's your fault, and it's her fault. I'm just Adam. I was just over here watching football. 
And then he said, the woman you gave me to be with me, she gave me from the tree, and I ate it. What am I supposed to do? She, she, told, she told me to eat it. I, I mean, what am I, I, I got to eat it. I mean, then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me. It was still not my, it was the serpent. And so the other day, Lydia and I were listening to the radio, and this uh, Taylor Swift song came on and said, look what you made me do. And I told Lydia, I said, I said hey, I just got a catchy beat and everything, but I want you to know nobody can make you do, makes you do anything. <laughs> so nobody's got control over you but you. And she's like, I, yeah, I know that. I said, good. But that's, those are those kind of messages. Look what you made me do. Look what you made me do. No, yeah, I didn't. I don't care. Go ask the martyrs in Iran if their torturers made them do anything. Did they make them confess and deny God? No. Nobody can make you do anything. I'm not saying they can't, like, influence you in very, very strong ways. But you always have a choice. You always have a choice. And so, the blame-shame game. Now, unlike guilt, which is the feeling of doing something wrong, shame is the feeling of being something wrong. I don't actually have a problem with guilt because it just means guilt helps show you where you need to get back into the love of God. So when we come to the Lord and ask for forgiveness, I think sometimes we look at it wrong. It's like we're trying to keep him from punishing us, maybe. But instead, it's like, I've gotten out of the love of God. Lord, will you forgive me? I repent so I can get back in alignment with you. I can get back into the love of God. Does that make sense? And so, because how many of I've the times that I've repented and I've been sincere and I've really had remorse over my sin, it's been some of the greatest love encounters with God. He doesn't wish that, he's, he's not like, well, Travis, this was the fifth time. I'm sorry. He's, it's, it's just like, when, when our, our kids are genuinely sorrowful when they've done something to hurt another member of the family, it's like, they've learned the lesson. No need for more punishment. No need for more restrictions or whatever it may be. Lesson's been learned. And so the hallmark, the hallmark of rebellion and sin is, is, is shame. You hide from God and you're independent from him. So you've lost your image, you've lost your identity. You're deciding what is right and wrong in order to avoid shame. Now, why, I've, I've talked about this before, but whenever there's street preachers and they're preaching the gospel and they're saying, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, where people are like, <laughs> let's go to the other side of the street. Why is that? Is it because the street preacher's horrible? Now, if he just is preaching that, that's, there's nothing wrong with that. But why would that make somebody run? 
if what he's saying is right, then I'm wrong and my life has got to really change. I don't really want to do that because I know what's good and bad. So I'm going to run over here and hide. People nervously laugh when I've preached in the streets or I've shared it. <laughs> but then there's the people that the Lord is like, they're, they're, they're desperate for a change. And they're like, yeah, man, I want to hear what you guys say. Those are the apples that are ready to fall from the tree. But the people that aren't ready, I was one of those people. I mean, I went, when I was in college and went downtown, there was a street, people street preaching on the corner. Now, these people were operating a little more condemnation than I would street preach in, but they're like, say, hey, man, you know Jesus? And I, I said, I, I, do know, I do know Jesus. He's like, what are you doing down here? I was like, I'm hanging out with my friends. But I did, even before I interacted with those guys, I was kind of going to be like, because I wasn't, I wasn't living for Jesus. I grew up in church. I knew who he was. You know what I'm saying? So I, I kind of want to be like, all right, I'm going to stay away from those guys. So I know exactly what people are feeling when they nervously laugh or they mock. Why do people mock? They want it because the condom, they, there's a condemnation that sin brings. And when you, when you come with the awareness of sin in your life, you feel the weight of it. Am I right? And so what is Jesus offering to you? He's like, you feel that sin that's on you? You feel that weight that's on you? I want to take it off. But you got to follow me. That's what Jesus is offering. And not everybody understands that. And so that's why they run. When you blame, you blame someone else for your current situation, which is also known, it can be called a victim mindset. This is, look what you made me do. You're doing this to me. I have no control over my life. That's a very powerless place. That's a prison. Jesus, especially for Christians, Jesus came, he, he has made you an overcomer. He's made you more than conqueror. He's made you a victor, a warrior. You're seated with him in the heavenly places. You've been given everything for life and godliness. He's blessed you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You have been given everything in heaven. And the key is believe to open up that door. Poverty thinking. This is when you think there's, there's uh, 30 biscuits and there's five people around the table and you're like, man, I better grab a hand. I better grab just sweep the biscuits into my shirt because I don't know, I don't know if we're going to ever have biscuits again. And this is, you, you, you may not, you, you kind of proverbially hoard. <laughs> you, you're, you're hanging on the stuff. You're, maybe you're not, if it, it kind of manifests as something that's not, you're, you're not generous, you're, you're, you're scared, whatever reason. It's okay, God, God found you when you were in a mess, right? He's, just, he's not scared of messes. So even as you walk with the Lord and, hey, I want to I wanna clean this up right here. I want, I want to free you. It's all about freedom. That's what Jesus is about. He's not about trying to 
man, I can't believe you got this mess over here. He's like, let's, let's get rid of this. This thing's holding you back. The poverty thing in the orphan spirit, thinking that you, you, don't, you don't have a home, that you don't have a father, that you're forgotten about. And you can have a great parents and still think like this because somewhere down the line you've just started believing a lie. And I had, I had great parents, but I, I definitely was like, had moments where I was like, God, have you forgotten about me? Talitha, come. Why have you forsaken me? You know, I'm like, God, why? Where are you? This guy, look, you're doing all this stuff for this guy over here. What about me? I've been, I've been faithfully serving. Sounds like the older brother, right? I've been, I've been serving. We, Jessica and I helped out with the youth group um, when we were friends, not friends, dating, not dating, almost getting married. It's complicated. And so <laughs> we, so I, I, I'd faithfully served for, in the youth group for a year and a half. And then the, um, there was an internship to, to work to, to be with the youth for the summer. I was like, man, this, this youth pastor, he's got to give it to me. I've been here every Wednesday, willing to miss basketball games in an adult league to be at youth group. I've been on the mission trips. I've done all that. I do my quiet time every day. And so... He hires this guy who's a backup quarterback at UGA. And uh, I was kind of like, what? What? This guy was taller than me. He was stronger than me. He was more athletic than me. Preached better than me. So he's preaching. He used the umbrella for a prop one time. I was like, who uses the umbrella as a prop? And I just found myself. I was like, this guy can't preach. This guy can't preach. And so <laughs> I hear Jack Frost in my head saying, orphans thinking, orphan thinking. And so, I, and so I would be in this battle while this guy would preach. It's like, this guy can't preach. Why is, who uses it? Lord, I know that sin. Why am I, I'm judging this guy. God, he's horrible. No, God, God, what about me? What about, you know, I was, and I was like, I am being torn apart. And then I had a friend Say, hey, man, you want to do this Bible study with me? Joel Goddard from Bethlehem Church. He's the worship pastor out there. I said, well, what's it about? He said, I don't know, man. You just get rid of a lot of sin. I was like, sign me up because I got a lot of sin right now. <laughs> and it turned out to be Elijah House training, inner healing. <laughs> and you do get a lot rid of a lot of sin. But you also get equipped to live life. And uh, so the Lord did a lot of healing in me. And so the Lord, even in that mess where I'm just like judging the fool out of this guy, and I'm like, what about me? Where are you? I've served faithfully. Uh, and God still met me there. He wasn't like, Travis, first of all, before I can help you, you need to grow up. No, he, he didn't say that. He's like, let me help you grow up. Let me father you. That's what fathers do. They help you grow up. They father you. And so those are some of this, 
the hallmarks of shame is because for whatever reason, why was I judging myself? It's because who I was, just being Travis, wasn't enough. I had to, because I was doing all this stuff for this pastor to see. He was like, do you see what I'm doing? Not who I'm being, but do you see what I'm doing? And so shame, there's a couple of words for it, but it's interesting what shame means. These, these Greek words, I'm not even going to try to pronounce them. I might say a cuss word. And so it says confusion of one who is ashamed of anything and then to disfigure dishonor. So what shame does is it confuses you of who you really are. It causes confusion. You lose your identity. You become disfigured under shame. So imagine you're looking in the mirror and you see a, dis, a disfigurement of yourself. And that's, what, that's the reflection that shame brings upon you. You don't really know who you are. You don't know how God created you. You don't see the beauty that, that God put in you as a son or daughter, as one of his creation. And what does James tell us to look at? It says, what does the word of God do? What is, it's, it's like a mirror. So this, this tells you what you're supposed to look like. This tells you what your identity is. This is always here. It's not like a, the winds of the sea that are up and down, like our emotions or whatever else may be like that. But this tells you, hey, in First John it says, I am a child of God. Tomorrow, I'm going to read First John. It's just going to say, I'm a child of God. 40 years from now, I'm going to read First John. It's going to say, I'm a child of God. It has nothing to do with me because I'm not a creator. <laughs> That's what God said. And so I look in the mirror of the word and it says, I'm a child of God. I'm God's favorite. I'm his beloved. He finds pleasure in me. I love that scripture that Noreen used. He says, God, you, you even want to set me, out of my, set me free from my prison so I can praise you. <laughs> David prayed. David was so dependent on God. He said, God, open my lips that I may praise you. You don't feel like praising God. You're like, God, help me praise you. It sounds ridiculous, but God's like, yeah, I'm, I'm in. Help me praise you. And so you had, this was the, the kind of the, the domino effect of what happened in the garden. And they were, Adam and Eve, they were unashamed in the garden. And then there was rebellion and eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They hid in the garden. Now mankind carries guilt and the shame of sin. Jesus dies a shameful death that he didn't deserve. So he removes shame off those who believe in him. Humanity is restored back to original relational intention with God because Jesus took the shame. The, cro the cross is pr probably the most humiliating. It's not only one of the most painful ways to die, but the most humiliating because you're naked. Think about this. Jesus, he came, he, God doesn't miss the details. Adam and Eve were naked in the garden. Jesus was naked on the cross to restore 
what was lost. But he was mocked for hours. And even, I mean, we get embarrassed if we're found naked in our day, most of us. But especially in that, in Jesus' day, it was like the most shameful thing for somebody to see you naked. Even the men, if you're like a, a noble man, you know, kind of a man of, you know, had some clout and whatnot, or you were a priest, even if you showed your ankles, that was shameful. You showed your ankles. And so here's Jesus naked, the king, the king of kings, suffering a criminal, the most shameful death possible that he was not worthy of, that he did nothing to deserve so we could be restored back to the Father. And so it said that Jesus despised the shame in Hebrews 12 too. We fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So this word despise, it means to cast down thoughts of agreement and harmony with something. So Jesus is on the cross, and imagine just the waves of shame that are trying to come at him. He's naked. It's a criminal's death. People are mocking him. He has a crown of thorns on his head. The guys are saying, if you're the king of the Jews, call the angels. If you're the, if you're the son of God, call the angels. Do you, I mean, imagine the, that hitting you. And Jesus, in his mind and in his heart, he's like, I receive none of that. I am, a, I am a, the son of God. I am my father's favorite. Why? He's hanging on a cross, naked and despised, mocked, ridiculed, in unbelievable pain. He says, I don't agree with that. I don't, I'm, I'm my father's favorite. I'm my father's favorite. And so what despising it's not just like, it's not this casual thing. It's you aggressively renew your mind to what the truth is. Steve Backlund calls it relentless mind renewal. But you're like, I'm not receiving any of that. When shame tries to come on you, I'm not receiving that. I'm not receiving that. Even when you mess up, shame is going to, shame doesn't want you to try again. <laughs> shame is like, you're not going to, listen, you're not going to get this. Just give up. That's what shame says. But the Lord, it, we only lose when, when, we, when we give up. I don't care how many times or how many years You've been battling something. The Lord says, despise the shame. Cast it down. Cast it down. Revelation chapter 3, this is the, the letter to the church in Laodicea. This is Jesus speaking. He says, the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God says this, I know your deeds, that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. 
So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, and blind, and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich, and white garments, garments so that you may clothe yourself, and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed, and I salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love I reprove and discipline, therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. He who overcomes, I will grant him to sit down with me on my throne, and I will also overcome, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so Jesus, he's reproving the church in Laodicea because he's saying, listen, you th- you th- he's basically saying, you think you're really strong, <laughs> but you're not without me. When you think you know what's right and wrong, you end up like Adam and Eve. He says, you got to know that you, he's, he's pointing us back to dependence on God. He's like, without me, you're poor, you're blind, you're naked. I'm the one that makes you rich. I'm the one that gives you sight. I'm the one that clothes you and removes your shame. And they had wandered away from that. And so that was what he was saying. And, and this, is, this is the key to shame, get overcoming shame, is you st- stay close to the Lord. You don't try to be, it's the weak, that when you walk in weakness and acknowledging God, your grace is sufficient for me. I need you in everything. I need you to raise my, help me raise my kids. I need you in my job. I need you in my marriage. I need you in everything that I do. Then that's when God shows up. And so Jesus is just trying to bring us back to that place of dependence. But when I, there's something that has to die for dependence to, to live in us, and it's pride. And you can't give up shame without giving up pride. Ultimately, shame gets a hook in you because there's, there's pride there. And pride is like what I said in the beginning, I know better than you, God. <laughs> I know better than you. So there's this great exchange that God does. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. And this is Paul just talking about the world, people apart from Jesus Christ that don't know him. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They end up worshiping and serving creatures rather than the creator who is blessed forever. We either worship ourselves or we worship something we created apart from Jesus. I think there's a whole lot of worship of ourselves. We've made, we've become God. You know what I'm saying? Now, if we exchange the truth for a lie to rebel against God, how do we get back in agreement and cooperation with God? We do the opposite. We exchange the lie for truth. And this is what, like I said, what Jesus was doing. Just imagine all the demons around Jesus on the cross. You're not the king. This is, a, this is a criminal's death. You know, why don't you do this? Why don't you do that if you're so strong? 
all of that being hurled at him, empowered by the words of the men and women watching him die. And here's Jesus saying, he's despising, he's casting it down. He's like, you have no place in me. That's not who I am. I'm the son of God. So he was exchanging those lies for the truth. And now I want to talk about not being ashamed of the gospel. Second uh, Timothy Verses 8 and 12, it says, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in the suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. For this reason I also suffer these things, that I'm, but I am not ashamed. For I know who I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. And I want you to, to understand that when the world is going to call you every trigger word if you take a stand for Christ, you're a bigot. If you disagree with what the world says. And it's going to, you're, and they're going to say, you're not loving. That's what gets Christians right there. It's like, you're not loving, you're not kind. And it's like, no, I'm supposed to be loving, kind. Okay, I'll, I'll do it. Yeah, sure, I'll do whatever. It's the, it's the lie. I, I say this all the time, but it's the best example I know of. How many of you are going to let your kid play in the middle of a busy street? He's free. Do whatever you want, son. That's your choice. That's your truth. No, as a daddy, I'm like booking it, and I'm going to tackle him if I got to. And then I'm going to be, I'm going to look at him and be like, never, ever scare your daddy again. <laughs> no, but I'm, I'm going to be, I'm going to, I was like, don't ever do that again. You'll die. You understand me? That's what a father does. But I'm not going to look at him while a Mack truck is bearing down on him and say, that's your truth, son. I hope you make it. Dad, this truck's not going to kill me. Yeah, you do you. It's not going to work. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. Now, when we preach the gospel, what happens, I'm going back to this, this thing that what makes people run or what makes people bow. It's one or the other. As it says, if the gospel is preached, it reveals the righteousness of God. So what is also being exposed? Unrighteousness. And you're not even trying to expose unrighteousness. You're just exposing righteousness. But as a result, unrighteousness is revealed. So when you say Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father except through him. What about uh, Buddha? And what exposes the unrighteousness? No, man, that's not right. There is, there is absolute truth. 
And one of the things that when we share the gospel with people that God's breaking off in us, it's the reason why I'm looking forward to this conference in October that's happening, Jesus at the door. And it's what I've been praying. I was like, God, break off any shame, break off any embarrassment that we have about sharing the gospel. When I, it's like, hey, man, do you know Jesus? And, and there's this thing is like, I hope I don't come across as like strange. You don't want to be embarrassed. You're like, listen, we're all in this boat. And there's people that have, have overcome that, but like Chris Overstreet, you know, witnesses like 30 people a day. I mean, I've, I've walked around with him. But he started where he's, he said he was, God told him to share a scripture with the, the lady working the counter at a convenience store. And he was like, shaking. But what happened is he just, he kept pressing in and like God broke the shame. He broke any kind of embarrassment. He's just like, I don't care. I don't care what people think anymore. Are you born again? Are you born again? You are? Good. All right. Now, we don't have to look like Chris Overstreet. I'm not telling you to do that, but I'm just saying he's broken through the embarrassment, the shame of sharing the gospel. That's why he's an evangelist, because they're meant to equip the body to not be ashamed, to not be embarrassed. Hey, man, do you, if, you, if you put this... If you put all your sin in a backpack that was on your back, would it be heavy? Yeah, man, probably. I had one guy who was like, no, not very heavy. And I was like, all right, cool, man, see you later. Because I was like, he's not ready. Fear and shame want to keep you small. They want you to be afraid of taking risk or be, or be ashamed when a risk doesn't work out. Fear and shame are BFFs. That was, that was me right there. <laughs> Although we cannot alter our past, we can put our past on the altar. <laughs> Let's stand up. So it's a new day, then the mercies of the Lord are new every morning. And even when we miss it, even when we, we get scared, maybe we give in to fear, maybe we give in to shame or embarrassment of, that we're a Christian and we don't, we don't take a step of faith. God wants us to step back and is like, Lord, you love me. You, you came to me when I wanted nothing to do with you. So how much more do you want to help me in this place? Well, I'm trying, Lord. I'm trying to learn your ways. He wants to help you in those, in those places. He's not ashamed of you. There's a reason why that's in the Bible. He says he's not ashamed. Jesus is not ashamed to call you brethren. He's not ashamed of you. So, Father, I pray that you, you break off shame, Lord, that we would have relentless mind renewal, that we would be, that we would despise and cast down shame from our life, that we would not let it influence us, that we would recognize it even first of all, God, 
and that we would not let it influence and we would cast it down even when we're on our cross, just like Jesus did. Amen. We're going to worship to one more song. If our ministry team will come over here to the side, if you need prayer for healing or anything else, they'd love to pray for you. Let's worship.